And I think about my father when he lost his job. I'd rather you save and invest that money because then you at least have access to something. Whereas if you prepay for 15 years out of 20, but you're still five years short, you don't get that money back necessarily unless you sell the house, refinance the house. And those things aren't always guaranteed they're going to happen very easily. dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about when you shouldn't pay off your mortgage early. As a lot of you know, I love living mortgage-free. The freedom and options our family has today is incredible. But just because I love my paid-off house doesn't mean I think everyone should rush off and do that right away. There are other important financial actions to consider first. So to help us discover some of those other money moves, I've invited Brian Preston on the show today. Brian is a fee-only financial planner, the founder of Abound Wealth Management, and the host of the popular Money Guy show. This is an award-winning podcast and YouTube channel. Brian's been broadcast for over 15 years, and he's been featured in major media outlets like the New York Times and U.S. News and Forbes. And when he's not helping clients reach success with simple, smart strategies, Brian loves spending time with his wife, Jennifer, and their two daughters in Franklin, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, Brian. Andy, thanks so much for having me, because mortgage payment is one of those things that I think we get a bad rap for, but I want to kind of explain my position, because I have seen your content where And there is nothing, just like a paid-for car drives better, a house that's fully paid for definitely sleeps better at night. Here's my only issue, if you don't mind, Andy, if I just jump right in, is that I know how valuable your dollars are when you're young. I mean, I, one of the things I talk about on The Money Guy Show is that every dollar you have while you're in your 20s and 30s just has exponential value down the road. So, And I, and I even have a koozie here. I don't know if you can see it, but every do- this $1 beer cost me $88. What I'm talking about is for a 21-year-old who is drinking a $1 can of cheap beer, if they invested that money by the time they're 66 years of age and leave the workforce, that $1 has the opportunity to become $88 or $87 worth of growth. On our website, we have, and that's called the money multiplier. On our website, if you go to moneyguy.com slash resources, we have this math already done for everyone because the value for a 45-year-old is the $1 can of beer now only costs them $4.50. That is a 20-fold difference. And this is kind of what I get into with prepaying the, the mortgages that I think everybody who's in their 20s and 30s, I want to get you saving as much money into your Roth IRAs, your your employer match the free money with your employer before you start paying down the two and a half percent mortgage rate. And if I had to guess, Andy, just based upon the content I've seen, because I know you're under the 45 age, because I'll give the guidelines that I give on prepaying the mortgage, but you strike me as a person that was already saving 25% of your income before you prepaid that mortgage. Am I correct about that? 
Yeah, you are correct. There was a period of time where we were saving upwards of 50%. And it was one of those times where I just kind of got a little bit excited about all the movements, the debt freedom movement, the fire movement. I wanted a part of all the movements. So I was trying all of them, man. And then the mortgage-free movement came and I liked that too. So it was a little bit of dabbling in all things. But to your point, was definitely investing a lot of our income to help us you know, have a good retirement. Absolutely. So I always challenge everybody and everybody in your audience, I'd I'd put them under the same challenge. You have two components of your life. There's the wealth building years, and then there's the wealth preservation because it's it's already hard enough to build wealth. But I think there does come a, a portion of your life where once you've built it, how do you keep it? And that's where kind of the debt prepayment on low interest debt kind of happens in that preservation side of things as you're approaching retirement. Because I don't want anybody entering retirement that's carrying debt. Now, that, that puts me at odds with a lot of financial advisors that say you should never, ever, ever pay off your mortgage. But I know that that's crazy, too, because you want to own your life. See, financial freedom is the opposite of encumbrance, and that's what being debt-free is. But then I'm also the guy that's telling everybody who's 25, who's 32 years of age, don't prepay that mortgage. So you can see, I kind of, I'm an equal opportunity pot stirrer. So here's where the actual rules are. My personal guidance towards this is if you're under 45 years of age, make sure you're saving at least 25% of your gross income before you attack the, the, the prepaying that low interest debt. However, once you're over 45 years of age, go for it. I want you because I'm hoping here's what there's also a psychological as well as life experience. And this is think about 20 year olds, think about 30 year olds. You guys are in the messy middle. You got you, you usually you, you're getting your footing in your career. You're finding a spouse. You start having you know kids, and and all these things are pulling on your back pockets. You just don't have a lot of money as you're getting your footing. But there's that that whole contradiction that every dollar in your twenties and thirties is worth exponentially more than the money you have in your forties, fifties, and sixties. So if you're on a limited limited supply and you're not saving. 25%, but you're attacking the debt. Because I know a lot of people talk about Dave Ramsey. And my thing is that a lot of people are doing Dave-ish. They're not actually doing Dave Ramsey. Because we see people, and I'm sure you talk about this too, Andy, is that people will not be loading up their Roth IRAs. They'll be paying off that mortgage first. And that that's not what you want. That's not what Dave wants. That's not what I want. You've got to make sure you're building the army of dollar bills while you're young, while that money can work harder for you, so that then as life changes, because what happens in your 40s and 50s, you're in your peak earning years, the kids are getting older, your money doesn't grow as fast, meaning that like every dollar has potential to grow to $4 at retirement. By all means, at that point, pay down the low interest debt, but you didn't you didn't jeopardize your, your money growing exponentially when you're in your 20s and 30s. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Why do you think it is that people would feel more inclined to paying off the mortgage than going and investing in a Roth IRA? Is it just confusion? Is it, hey, I get it. I could throw this at the principal of the mortgage. I don't get stock market ups and downs and craziness. What do you think it is? I think it's a combination of several things. First of all, behaviorally, I mean, the first time you pay off that credit card, and you're debt-free on your credit cards, you're like, this is the greatest thing in the world because you know how much you were paying in interest before you were debt-free of the credit cards. So it feels good. You immediately get a, 
this is the greatest feeling in the world. So I think people embrace that feeling to the point that they say, well, if it was so good with the credit cards, it's got to be great with the mortgage too. Because there's also, look, investing is, it, it seems like this crazy, mysterious thing where you're investing and there's risk and you see the, the headlines of the Wall Street Journal or your nightly news where, like we just came through that pandemic where the market was down 35% in about a month. I mean, so a lot of people see that and go, that's just not for me. I'm never, ever, ever going to put my money at risk. Whereas if I pay down my mortgage, I own it. And emotionally, that feels very good. But you're only getting half the story. If I could explain to 20 and 30-year-olds, the money you invest in the long term in your 401ks, the Roth IRAs, and hopefully you're buying low-cost index funds, those funds you're not going to touch for 20 and 30 years. And there hasn't been a period ever where if you set it, forget it, that, that volatility is going to hurt you. And, and the first thing I always tell it's contradictory or contrarian point is that the younger you are, the more you should cheer for that volatility. Because that whenever the downturns happen, you get to buy those cheap shares and, and really exploit the growth opportunity in the long term. But that, that's the, the, the answer primarily, Andy, is it, it feels emotionally really good to pay it off. Plus, it feels certain because if your mortgage rate's two and a half or 3% and you're only making a half a percent on your savings, you think that you're really doing something great, but you don't realize there's an opportunity cost where maybe you could make 8%, you could make 10% just by buying simple index funds. But that feels a little more out in the ethos than what you can touch when you sleep in your house at night. Let's talk about some of the disadvantages. You're in your 20s, you're in your 30s, and you've you know, considered this and hard charged towards paying off your mortgage. What are some of the disadvantages 20, 30 years down the road? Well, here, here's something I have a life experience share here is that my father got laid off when he was 44 years of age. He was a middle-level manager. You know, and it was one of those things where the company, it's not like he did something wrong. The company just got out of the business he was in and sold off that division. And they got absorbed by another company. And they already had their own middle-level manager. So they just kind of apple cart turnover, sent everybody on their way. And I, I think about that experience. And somebody who's, if you have a 30-year mortgage and you're excel, you know, paying down aggressively, and let's just say you're 15 years into it and you're getting really close. You know, you've paid down this $300,000 mortgage to 50,000 or whatever it is. The problem is if you're my father and you lose your job and what happens if it's also during a market downturn where real estate's being impacted? Cuz by the way, I have another experience share in 2010, I had a home equity line worth six figures that I had a checkbook on. The bank sends you a letter saying, "You know what? Just kidding." The market value is no longer what we told you it was. We're taking away your access to that line of credit. So, and bad news travels in groups. I mean, let's face it, volatility is an extrovert. And the fact that it likes hanging out with bad real estate, bad job markets, these things all happen together. And I think about my father when he lost his job. If he didn't, I'd rather you save and invest that money because then you at least have access to something. Whereas if you prepay for 15 years, out of 20, but you're still five years short, you don't get that money back necessarily unless you sell the house, refinance the house. And those things aren't always guaranteed they're going to happen very easily. So that's why, like I said, I'm not an anti-pay down your debt. I'm just more of how do you transition from wealth building to wealth preservation, but also not miss out on the exponential growth that you can have in your younger years where you can take risk 
You also have the benefit of a job, whereas as you're older, you're going to rely more and more on those assets that you have to live off of than you are off of your wages. It makes a lot of sense to me. You know, We started early, and we're looking at these calculators online and plugging in where we are today and where it could be by the time we're 60, 70, when we want to touch this money, and it makes a huge difference. Obviously, if I waited till I was 40 to start a lot of this activity, my time horizon for retirement investing would be a lot shorter. Let's talk to the person right now who's listening being like, yeah, you know what? But it could be really risky to invest in the stock market too. So, I mean, if it's something I know I can have and I'm going to own and it feels real good versus, you know, losing money in the stock market, I guess, how do you convince that person to say, yeah, this makes sense and it's not as risky as you might think? Success with money is not one path. It's just like, I'm always amazed at people who think buying rental properties, getting, you know, 25 to 50 rental properties is the only path. The other people who think just buying index funds is the only path. There's actually going to be a lot of things that will go into your overall success picture. And and that's what, you know, it's emergency reserves. It's also making fun, taking advantage of your employer plan at your workplace. Cause you, you know, the stat that the typical millionaire actually reaches it in their employer provided 401k. That, that's something that Ramsey solutions puts out there all the time. That stuff, you've got to create an automatic wealth building plan. And I think it's multifaceted. I think it's going to be not only you saving for the emergencies, not only you maximizing the retirement plans, but also building in, how do you pay down the debt? Well, because I think it's more risky. Why do we have so many midlife crises when the 40s and 50s is I think people get in their 40s and 50s and they look around and they go, man, I'm just not where I thought I was going to be in life. I don't have savings. I don't like the job I'm working. And that's when you see people start losing their mind a little bit. And and that's why they do crazy stuff that leads to those midlife crises. I'm telling you that If you can think about and go look at the historical data, that's why I always talk about what every dollar can become is because things are increasing. If you look at incremental increases in innovation, 10 years from now, we might look back at like somebody who who landed in 1920 would, would think about things because think of how fast things moved from the 1900s to the 1970s. Now think about how things moved from 2020, I mean, 2000 to 2020, we're, I mean, we're innovating so much faster and there's going to be a way to make money off of that. So I don't care what's going on in politics. I don't care what's going on with the tax code. I'm just counting on human innovation will want to expand and grow. And that's why it's exciting. I mean, think about the fact that when I started investing in the nineties, you had to go through a broker. You had to go through somebody who had a commission sales products. Now you can buy everything online. Remember, we're getting so fat and happy that we can do everything on our own, that we're running up GameStop and all these other things through the Reddit boards, because that really is freedom run amok is what that is. But that's how blessed we are to live in, in, in such a, a technology driven world. That's not going to slow down. So I would challenge the person who's in their 20s and 30s who looks at it as risky. Look at your own life. Think about how much do you use on your Apple watches, your phones, and then think about where you were maybe 10 years ago. And you're going to see this is actually accelerating. And you want to be a part of that because I think that's less risky than sitting in cash because I've done enough retirement meetings or 401k or 403b presentations to school systems where you see the teacher who comes up to you who's 57, shatter money only in the stable value fund, never invested it, and then finds out that, man, maybe retirement's just not going to be 
as, as good as they thought. And, and, and I grew up, you know, and Andy, I don't mean to go into another experience here, but my father and my mother saved through CDs. They didn't know about investing. Meanwhile, my father-in-law never sp- saved more money than my parents, but bought the Fidelity Magellan Fund back when the Fidelity Magellan Fund was, you know, the, the be-all, end-all of investments. Same amount of money going in, incremental decision-making, one is worth multiple hundreds of thousands, whereas my parents just did CDs. The money never had the chance to work. And that's what, that's a bigger risk than what the stock market offers you, you know, in, in yearly volatility. And you're not putting anything in there that you can't walk away for five to seven years anyway. We'll be back to the show after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks for taking time to consider our sponsors, everyone. Let's jump back into the show. You and your co-hosts developed something called the Financial Order of Operations. I've had this sent to me, I think, multiple times on Instagram. The little the little chart that you guys have, somebody just forwards oh, it yeah. over to me. There it is, right there. <laughs> I love it. I would, you know, so we're talking about the order of doing these things. I thought maybe we could talk through that a little bit and then maybe direct people to that resource at the end. So your first order of operation is deductibles covered. What does that mean? Yeah, it's really, it's to keep your financial life out of the ditch. I mean, if you think about it, most people, you have your health insurance deductible you need to go see, is that 1000 is that $1,500? You also have your property and casualty, whether you're a renter or whether you own your house, there's going to be some form of deductible. For those that don't know, a deductible is just how much, how much you need to pay to the insur- towards the thing before the insurance company kind of picks up the slack for you. So I'm just trying to make sure that you have enough to cover whether it's your health insurance, whether it's your property and casualty on your automobile or your house, make sure you have at least the highest, go write down all your deductibles, whatever the highest number on that list is, that's what you need to have. Once you have that number, you can move to step two in the financial order of operations because it really is just basic protection so that you don't put your financial life in the ditch if something bad happens. So that's all step number one is. Yeah. And I like that because, and obviously one of your high deductibles might be your healthcare deductibles too. And I understand that's one of the major causes or one of the leading causes of bankruptcy in our country. So number two is employer match. I think I understand that, but why is that important? Yeah, well, it's, it's free money. I mean, look, we give a ton of 401k presentations and we actually give away money sometimes every now and then. That's why it's dirty. If I ever come to a 401k presentation, volunteer whenever I ask for volunteers because we give away tons of free money. But I always, and everybody hoops and hollers when you give away $100 or $180 because when you're showing what a dollar has the potential to become, the, the room, you would think Oprah showed up and started giving away her favorite things. But yet the statistics and the research shows that most people are not maximizing their 401k, their 403b, the employer match. And guess what? It's not typically 20 bucks. It's not typically 100 bucks. We're talking about potentially thousands of dollars of benefits annually from your employer that people just aren't taking advantage of. So if you can make 50%, 100% guaranteed just by participating, you're crazy not to do it. And that's why I think a lot of people are shocked when they see deductibles covered as step one. Step two is employer match with the 50 to 100% free money. It, we don't even get to credit cards until step three. Because, and realize credit cards, the average interest rate on a credit card right now is 17.76%, which is mind-blowing how expensive that is. But that shows you how powerful I think that employer match is, is because that's 50%. That's 100% guaranteed versus 
the 17% on credit cards, don't miss out on that that opportunity to use that free money. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a great employer. My last employer matched us 15% of whatever we put in there. So I would max that thing out at whatever, 19000 at times and that would be around $3,000 of free money. No matter how it was invested, it was free money. So absolutely take advantage of that as much as possible. So we talked about high interest debt. Let's move on to step four, which is emergency reserves. So talk about how much is a proper emergency reserve for people? Is that personal or do you guys have an opinion? Yeah, I mean, people who are in the workforce, it's the traditional three to six months of, of your income. As you approach retirement, that number is going to probably balloon up somewhere between 18 to 36 months because you don't want to have any volatility you know, in the markets or what's going on in the financial world impacting your retirement. But while you're working, I think three to six months, which is pretty traditional, is is a standard. And then a lot of people ask, well, where does where do house down payments? Where do car down payments? Because those one-off things. I always tell here's a good exercise. Go figure out what your monthly living expenses are, and then figure out what three to six months of the expenses are, and then compare that to three to six months of your income. The difference between those two is kind of that that you have some flexibility and freedom. To, to use and allocate some of that money towards house down payments, to, to car down payments, but you at least know where the guardrails are, where the bone is, that you don't want to cut any closer to three to six months of your living expenses. Because that's ultimately, that money is there in case things get really ugly if you lost your job or had something medically happen to you that money has a a very big purpose. Yeah. And ours has changed over the years. I think we had three months for a while when both my wife and I were working. When she was a stay-at-home mom, we bumped it up to six months. And then when I went to entrepreneur land, it was like, and after the pandemic, I'm like, man, six to nine months, has sounded pretty good. So decide what feels right for you and your family, obviously, and that fits well. So number five here is Roth and HSA. Now, statistically, as we talked about, more people are doing the 401k. Is that just because it's been around longer? HSA and Roth? nobody knows about why is that what do you think well and first of all you can 401ks come in traditional Roth we love the Roth especially for younger people if you're not in a super high income tax situation but the Roth IRA still before you're maxing out I like people on their employer plan just get the match first and then come to the Roth IRA second because two purposes it allows you this is I don't want you to use it for this, but it is a break the glass emergency access because you can always get access to your principal of your Roth contribution after a period of time, tax free, penalty free. So it is a get out of jail, oh my goodness, things have gone bad, emergency fund, but you don't want to use it for that because you want that tax free growth because Roth money grows completely tax free. You want to take advantage of that. I like the Roth IRAs over the Roth 401ks because you get to choose the investment. You know, so if you like Vanguard and their index funds or Fidelity Investments and their index funds, you get to be complete control. Sometimes with your 401k, your owner of the company might have a golf buddy who, you know, sold a 401k plan to them and you just don't have the best investment options. So you get complete control with the Roth. And then I also like the fact that Roth IRAs, as you get older, don't require the required minimum distribution like the 401ks do. So that's why I still want you going employer match, then come to the Roth. And then this is a great segue right into step six, Andy, is then after you max that out, go and then you can load up your employer plan completely in step six, you know, because that's typically 19,500 right now, unless you're over 50 or 50 or older. And then you can take that all the way up another 6,500. So really, you know, you get to 26,000 
really powerful tool there just to try to maximize your retirement savings and your army of dollar bills. Absolutely. It's a great way to grow your income. You mentioned maxing out your retirement. Obviously, maybe you know larger income is required to do that. What if I can't max out my retirement? Am I doomed to not continue the steps? No, no. That's, that's actually a great question. We've had that quite a bit. That's why I mentioned the 20 to 25%. Once you cross 25% of your gross income of savings, including the, the retirement, maybe you're not hitting the 19500 but you did hit you know, the 25% of your gross income, you can move on to step seven. Uh, that, that's exactly, that's built into the plan because we understand, look, wealth is not based upon, it's not like $2 million is what wealthy is. Wealth is that you do things on your terms based upon what you require. If you're a person that never made more than $40,000 a year, you can become wealthy with a lot less money than the person that makes $200,000 a year. So wealth is very individualized to, to where you are in the financial order of operations kind of adjust to and adapts to that as well. I love that. Yeah, there was a gentleman I had on the show, Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, he talks about this power percentage where it's like, hey, it doesn't matter how much you make, it matters how much you save and how are you using it to grow your wealth. So I love that concept and I love how you're utilizing it here. So what does hyperaccumulation mean in your step seven? Obviously, that sounds good. <laughs> well, you're starting, by the time you get to step seven, you're kind of becoming, you're no longer a Padawan, you're more of a Jedi on understanding how to work the the, the money forces because this is, this is more of an optimization strategy. When you get to hyper accumulation, what we're saying here is that money comes in different forms. It's after tax, like just your savings, like your brokerage accounts. It's tax deferred, which are your employer matching funds. And if you save traditionally that pot. And then the third one is that Roth. So there's three different baskets that your money can go into. Hyper accumulations where you're not just trying to throw money in the retirement account to maximize the tax savings and the tax-free growth. Now you're kind of thinking about it more from a navigation of if I retire in my fifties, where am I going to get money from? How am I going to do this? So the, the hyperaccumulation is really where you're focusing on the bucket strategy of which pot goes where, so you can maximize how you land into financial independence. Well, do it on your terms from a tax standpoint, time standpoint, and really have maximum flexibility. Depending on when you leave, you said, you know, hey, we got the Roth. That's a maybe better to use later on in life because you don't have the RMDs, right? And, you know, you're having these other opportunities before that. So number eight is a prepaid future expenses. Is this like kids college and things like that? What is that? Yeah, this one breaks everybody's heart because when we go to give talks on this discussion, there's always somebody raises their hand and go, when do we save for the kids? And I'm like, that's step eight because you, you don't want to. It's the whole thing. And you've probably heard it. And I feel like I say it all the time. When you're on the airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on the kids. It's the same thing with retirement. Your kids can go get student loans. As horrible as student loans are, your children can use student loans for education. There are not retirement loans. I mean, you're just kind of your retirement loan is you move in the, the, the basement apartment of your kids, not because they love you and want you there because you're broke. And that's just that's not the ideal situation. So that's why, yes, step eight, kind of getting to the bottom of the list is where you can put the 529 savings, the custodial, as well as, you know, if, you, if this is also where if you want the lake house or the beach, the second property, or you want to get into rental property and start becoming a landlord, all that kind of fits into to step eight. It's those things that are a little beyond the basics. 
I love this. You know, there's the whole point to this is front loading a lot of your investing so that you're making yourself set. I've heard of this term called coast fire, where you eventually get to a point where you've accumulated so much in your early years that you can either invest a lot less or invest, you know, almost nothing and still get to your goals. Do you like this concept? Do you think it's dangerous? What do you think? I, I got to tell you, Andy, I had never heard that term, but I'm going to totally use that now because coast fire is exactly, I didn't realize, like, I didn't realize I was part of this fire movement until, you know, because when I was 25 years old, I told myself, I'm going to retire at 50. I'm going to save, like, you know, as much as I possibly can so I can retire at 50. I'm getting close to 50 now. I can retire, but I'm not. I'm having way too much fun. I'm in my peak earning years. I'm loving creating content and getting paid to do it. I'm living my best life right now. So why would I leave while I'm having this much fun? But guess what? I have the opportunity because I invested so much when I was young that I can coast. I mean, it's, it's so interesting now because to come from a tight wad mentality to now when we're planning trips, I can do them in a way that I never would have thought. But I, I tell myself, like, why not? You know, it's not you can't take this money with you. We're already you know, we're building this. We, we have we trained the kids to be good with money why not go live our best life? And we're also charitable. I mean, I'm very charitably minded as well. So it's just great. If you put the time in early, you do get maximum flexibility. The whole YOLO crowd um, tells you never to start saving because you never know tomorrow is not promised. But I always tell people statistically, you're going to live to be old. Wouldn't it be better if you hit your forties? And I mean, Andy, you're kind of in that situation. Now you hyper saved, you, did, you didn't start with the debt first. You did hyper-save, and then after you maximized the 25%, you came to the debt, and now you get to you get to do it on your terms. I mean, that, that's completely – because I know you left – you're doing content creation kind of as your job now. That doesn't happen unless you made big sacrifices and big investments early. And that's why another stat point – I love that Ramsey Solutions does all this research that we get to use – you know, the typical millionaire reaches at 47 to 49 years of age. That's when the typical millionaires minted. If you think about that, that's not what society tells us. They show us all the fancy cars. They show us all the fancy houses. That's not the typical millionaire is 47 to 49 years of age. And you think about when do you enter the workforce? 22. 22 to 47 to 49. That's about 25 years to let your money start growing that's people who sacrificed early, let the money start building on top of it. And it just, get, it really does open it up for you. Or they caught some great YouTube channel like the Money Guy Show and they started investing at 18 and now they're all set. So I love it. So we're talking about number nine here, low interest debt. We've talked about this at the top of the show. So we're waiting until number nine to pay off the mortgage. Is that right? What else is in low interest debt? Yeah. And, and by the way, but I don't get mad at folks like yourself because I mean, you have the freedom because when you're going through the step process, the financial order of operations, you notice I said you graduate past the step six once you cross 25% of savings. So since you cross 25% savings, you got to go into step seven, eight, and even nine. So look, it's not maximization. When you pay off your mortgage in your 20s and 30s, you're not maximizing the money, but you're also not, you're not hurting yourself because you've already put in the hard work. That's what I always say the 25% is supposed to be a liberator because it's going to take away the guilt of spending. It's going to take away the guilt of prepaying low interest debt. 
That's why I love it. I mean, they're, they're, you have to put yourself, am I a creator of wealth or am I a consumer of wealth? But most people who listen to my show, listen to your show, they're creators of wealth, but sometimes they're too big of creators, meaning that they have a hard time saying it's okay to enjoy my 20s. It's okay to enjoy my 30s. I like that I've tried to create a system that lets you check all the boxes of success, but also lets you live a life that you can feel good about and actually look back and, and realize you created some blossoming memories. We've mentioned Dave Ramsey. We've mentioned your order of operations. We mentioned the fire movement. These are all great resources to get your mind thinking about what you could be doing to create financial freedom for yourself. If you don't follow it to a T, Brian's not going to get mad at you. The point here is to invest early, take care of yourself because again, there are no retirement loans. I think that's the best way to end that segment there. Let's talk about one piece of advice to leave the audience with and say, you know, somebody's listening and they're like, you know what? I get you. I need to be investing for my retirement. I don't know where to start. I really don't. What's one piece of advice you could give them as we finish this interview? The reason people don't know where to start is because there's an entire industry trying to make you feel confused so they can sell you something. That is, this is why on my show, I talk about the abundance cycle. I give away so much free advice because I know, look, if I just am transparent and give it away, you're going to come back to me in 10 to 15 years after you reach a level of success because you'll be like, the only person that was shooting me straight on this was Brian, was Andy and people like that. That's why if you're a content creator, be honest with your folks. And here's what I will tell you. Another great innovation that will change the way you think about money is these index target retirement funds that Vanguard, Fidelity Investments, and Charles Schwab offer. Guys, these things are revolutionary because all you have to do is come up with two numbers. How much can I save? When do I need it? Because what you'll do is you put how much you can save, what year you'll need it, because they have funds like 2030, 2035, 2040, 2050. You choose the year you need it. They do all the asset allocation, and they do all the investment for you, and they even do it in a cheap way. It's buying index funds, so it's tax-efficient. It beats the majority of the active money managers, and it also keeps the costs in the seller. So this stuff is as close to free as you possibly can get, and it saves you from the heartache of knowing where to start. You just go to those websites. They'll help you just do it all automatically, and all you have to do is come up with how much can I save, when do I need it, They'll do the rest of it. But just by the index variety, that's the biggest thing I tell people. Index investing will change your life. Absolutely. And it keeps it simple. It keeps you out of all the noise, all the single stock buying and the crypto noise. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But if you want to keep it simple and you want to keep it moving forward, this is a great piece of advice. It's what I follow to everybody. So, Brian, thank you so much for being here. You know, we talked about the financial order of operations. I understand you guys have an online course about this to help people through that. Where can somebody find that? Yeah, let me give you two two sources. First, if you want the free, look, we're all tightwads. I'm all about people saving money. Go to moneyguy.com slash resources. You can download this for free. This is the nine steps. If you realize after listening or looking at the, the nine steps, you need a little more detail, that's when you can check into the course. And that's just learn.moneyguy.com. And you can download the course. We also have links on the on the Money Guy site. You can't go wrong. We try to get create something for everyone free paid or just keep hanging out with us, become part of the family. You'll turn into a client just because we're so confident in what we share is going to turn you into you know a, a next level client at any point in the time when you're successful. Excellent. Well, I'll put links in the show notes to your course, but also where can people listen to your podcast? Just say the name of it as well as your new YouTube channel. Oh yeah. It's, it's as simple. Go to the website, moneyguy.com. But of course we're on iTunes, Stitcher, we're on iHeartRadio, anywhere you download and listen to podcasts, we're there. 
YouTube, though, holy cow, YouTube is a whole new world, and podcast people are different than YouTube people. I found that out. And YouTube, if you want to know what that number is right over our shoulder, that's our number of YouTube subscribers. And guys, it is fun because you get to see all the visuals that I have. I have, um, I have co-workers, content creators. FTE Daniel is creating great slides. i got a co-host, Mr. CFA, Bo Hansen. We will, you get to see it all. You get to see how goofy we actually are. That's on YouTube. So if you do that, please subscribe. We're trying to reach 200,000 in the next few months and can't do it without people like, you know, Andy's audience checking in. Absolutely. Well, I hit the subscribe button today. I've really enjoyed their content for a while. One of the videos I was watching, maybe it was a year ago, said 30,000 behind you and the subscribers and now behind them, it says 130,000. So these guys are growing fast. Go there, hit the red subscribe button, help them hit their goal. And Brian, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Andy, thanks so much. This was a blast. This was a smart conversation about when to attack that mortgage. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Brian Preston. Number one, start investing early. It cannot be overstated, my friends. Investing as early as possible gets time and compound interest on your side. That is the magic ingredients for the recipe of millionaire success. When it comes to our retirement, that is doubly, doubly true. If we start stacking decades upon decades ahead of time, ahead of our investing goals, they become a lot easier to achieve. So start now if you haven't started already. Keep it simple with index funds. If you don't know where to start, just start. Number two, pursue Coast Fire. Brian and I had a good conversation about Coast Fire. This is a concept that I absolutely love, and I love it just like mortgage freedom because it gives you options with more of your money today. In short, Invest early and aggressively for your retirement needs while you are young. Get a strong balance in your retirement portfolio early so that you can stop or decrease your retirement investments as you approach your 40s, 50s, and 60s. With that extra cash, enjoy more time with family or even use it to crush your mortgage early. Number three, there's no one right answer. For years, I looked for the book, the blog post, the influencer, the YouTube video that showed me the way to build wealth. But what I realized is that our situations are so unique that there's no one right way for everyone. So take this information you heard today or that you read in a book or listen to on a podcast and just see how it could work for you. And it's okay to modify it according to your unique life, your unique family situation, or your unique values. That's what makes pursuing financial independence so beautiful. There's no one right way. There's just your right way. So go find yours. Those are my top three takeaways, everyone. I would love to hear from you on what yours were. So hit me up on social media at Andy Hill MKM. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Let's keep the conversation going, my friends. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific 
financial situation. A big thanks today to Dan Tabbitt for editing our show and to Dan Hines and Alec Collins for editing our YouTube videos. YouTube's growing, everybody. Check us out there at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash YouTube or youtube.com slash marriagekidsandmoney. We got over 3,200 subscribers there and it is growing fast. So please check it out. Hit that red subscribe button and make your buddy Andy smile. Before we go for the day, I want to encourage you to join our free Thriving Families Facebook community. You can join me, my buddy El Martinez, my buddy Andrew Daniels, and 1,100 other families as we help each other thrive this year. Each week, we are asking everybody to share some wins, things that are going on in your lives. These can be family wins, financial wins, whatever. And last week, we heard this good news from our friend Allison. It was short and sweet, everybody. She said... Paid off my car. (laughs) Nice work, Allison. I am so glad you joined our little internet club after tuning into some of the shows. And uh, now you are sharing your wins and motivating others to hit their big goals. So I know when we paid off our cars here in the Hill family, we felt just this nice relief. You know, we breathed out and we're like, hey, it's one less thing we got to worry about. And now we can't imagine going back. We're saving up for our next car in cash. It just feels right for us. So can I get a round of applause for our friend Allison for her big win? All right, Allison, way to go. Very cool, very cool. If you want to join our free Facebook community and inspire others to win as well, please join us at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. Again, that's a free Facebook group. We'd love to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Anonymous. There is not one path. There is not even the right path. There is only your path. Good luck with your financial independence journey, my friends. Carpe diem. 